it's a fairly progressive, sweeping policy shift that we just went through. And that's okay that not everybody's on board. It shows that we're actually moving pretty quickly. We're not taking away the ability to drive in the city of Los Angeles. We are saying that on 8% of our streets, we think that we can move more people more efficiently if we are a little bit smarter about how we organize those streets to prioritize bikes and buses. I'm here in the studio with Johnny Lamb, who's a bike tourer, and he has a website called Milestone Rides. And Kat Naney, who's a new host of Bike Talk. And on the phone is Eric Bruins. Planning and policy director. Of the LACBC. Big news this week. Yeah, so the city of L.A. has a new uh, mobility plan. Um, that That is a part of its general plan. It is a really sweeping policy reform in terms of how we think about transportation in the city of Los Angeles. And it includes a lot of really progressive policies that we've been working on for a long time and kind of stitches a lot of it together into a coherent package, which is new and and exciting. And and we're eager to jump in. And it finally puts people on a level playing field, whereas before there was a lot of rhetoric around the importance of, you know, multiple modes and safety and all of this stuff. This plan actually puts safety first as the most important policy for the city of Los Angeles transportation system. And it um, undoes a lot of the car-oriented, you know, the automatic street widenings when you do a development, you know, the, the policies around how we measure congestion um, that, that always, you know, it's like, well, what's great with that we want a bike lane, but if it impacts cars, then you can't do it. Um, and I think it really just changes the playing field so that we now have a level playing field among all modes of transportation in the city. How did you get all these council members to sign off? Well, we didn't get all of them, clearly, but we got 12 of them, and that's what matters. This has been in the works for about four years now. The bike plan was passed in the spring of 2011. The ink wasn't even dry when they turned around and started working on this mobility plan. And what's exciting about that is it was heavily influenced by the bike plan. It basically is, okay, the bike plan's the foundation, How do we build on that, and how do we make all of the modes connect to each other? How do you make it such that you're able to, you know, bike to the train or or bike to the bus? Or or are there streets where actually it's more important to have a bus lane than it is to have a bike lane, um, whereas the bike plan was really just focused on that one mode? So the mobility plan kind of ties it all together. Did you major in city planning? Yes. Awesome. I always, always, always wanted to take classes in it. It's such a fascinating thing, how to make a city run like a well-greased machine. <laughs> and uh, you could argue that we're still not that good at it. Oh, hey, now, don't be so hard on yourself. You are making things happen that make my heart really excited. Well, that's great to hear. Uh, some people just ignored some of the bike plan, right? And it wasn't completely implemented. So that's my impression. What would you say about that? Any planning document or policy document, you know, clearly implementation is the most important part, and, and you have to um, you have to follow through. Um, I think, you know, the fact that this was not a unanimous vote by city council actually, to me, is an indication that, that people perceive this plan as having teeth um, because it was controversial enough that it, you know, it didn't sail through. And I think that, that there were a lot of really um, robust conversations about what this plan means. And as part of those conversations, there, there was an understanding that this is a real shift in priorities. Um, and it, and it was, it's enough of a shift of priorities that not everybody was on board with that, and that's okay. The other thing is that this is part of the city's general plan, and so it doesn't necessarily change everything overnight, but it is intended to change 
business as usual. There's always a lot of attention on the high profile, the, the really contentious projects, whether, you know, so th- those are campaigns that we can talk about later if you want, Westwood, North Figueroa, what mm-hmm. have you. Mm-hmm. But this plan is what changes kind of the stuff that never gets to that level. So it's how wide should a street be? How many cars should drive down a residential street? How fast should they go? What is the design speed of some of our boulevards? These are the things that aren't necessarily political questions. They're technical questions. And there hasn't really been very comprehensive guidance that is steering the everyday decisions that the city is making um, toward safety, toward a balanced approach. You know, it's really exciting to get involved in some of the more controversial stuff, but changing that business as usual I cannot emphasize how important that is. I've been getting feeds from my Facebook friends. It's been very controversial in terms of the way the media is perceiving this plan, where, you know, they're saying they're shutting down streets or changing the whole car culture of L.A. I mean, do you have something to say about that? On the one hand, it's a little bit unfortunate to see the way it's been picked up. But at the same time, you know, I do think that the coverage in the L.A. Times, the second article was pretty good. I do think that there was at least one, um, I want to say, NBC piece that was fairly balanced on TV. And so, you know, I think it's really easy to to play up the bike versus car angle, and and maybe we could have done a better job of getting out in front of that. But at the same time, when you look at these huge uh, policy shifts in every city, like you have this media moment where it's new and, and people are really attracted to the to the conflict and because they don't understand necessarily what's happening underneath right. the conflict. And so I think it's our, up to us now to, to take where we are on, on, on that public narrative but really be very intentional moving forward. So, for example, Los Angeles has 7,500 miles of street. You know, it, that's about 86 square miles of streets. In any other place in the world, that would be a city unto itself. We're talking right. about taking 8% of those streets and putting bus lanes or protected bike lanes on them. We're not taking away the ability to drive in the city of Los Angeles. We are saying that on 8% of our streets, we think that we can move more people more efficiently if we are a little bit smarter about how we organize those streets to prioritize bikes and buses. And that's a sweeping shift, but we're not taking away anybody's ability to drive in Los Angeles. Yeah, they're saying that people in Los Angeles are driving less anyways. It was in the article about the walking population in Los Angeles. Who? Absolutely. When people are driving less, you know, young people are delaying getting their licenses. They're out on bikes riding around. Um, and this plan just basically builds on that trend and continues it, and it projects that if everything is implemented conservatively, people will continue to drive about 3% less than they do now, despite population growth, despite everything else happening over the next 20 years. Uh-oh, look out, gym memberships. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so here, wait, with the mobility plan, what is step one now that it's now that it's in place, what's going to happen with implementation now? Well, there's one step before implementation, and that is that the plan went through and was approved by council, but in approving it, they did promise to go back and reconsider some of the amendments that were offered to it. And so there are going to be some continued discussions around policy and, and how the plan prioritizes different, different parts. And there's also going to be some discussions about whether the networks, as they were drafted in the plan, are the right ones, or whether there are some streets that should come off, some streets that should go on, some replacements that should be made. And so there's there's still a little bit of hashing out that we have to do on those things. And that's going to be where a lot of the, um, the attention is, is. And then after we get through that phase, then we're going to kind of take a, take a pause and, and look at there's a five-year action plan that, that the city planning has put out, and we're going to start chipping away at that it basically is a to-do list that's going to keep city staff very busy for the next five years. I've been to a few 
quite a few city council meetings and like other council meetings. And it seems like for the majority of the meeting, they're discussing what they're going to talk about next meeting. Is that a lot of what's going on at these meetings where they're sort of like, okay, this meeting, we're going to prioritize talking about this next meeting. And then you get to the next meeting and you're sort of still, it's sort of like having a lot of patience. Yeah, well, I mean, this plan has been four years in the making, and so patience has definitely been necessary. <laughs> um, and, you know, we, there, there are still, there's still some discussion that has to, um, has to occur. And I think that, you know, a lot of the council members that voted for it said this is really the vision statement, and we still have to work out a lot of the details. And I think that's what we're going to see over the next few months. Eric, you said only two council members didn't sign it, right? Right. And they are... Cedillo and uh-huh. Coretz, uh-huh. and they've been fighting bike lanes in their districts. Right. So have they been turned anti-bike? Is that what happened? <laughs> um, Drama queen. You know, I, Am it, I creating? It's really interesting to, to have watched that play out. Most of the time, the council acts unanimously. And so the fact that this was a not unanimous vote means that we don't necessarily have a consensus about what direction the city is moving in. And that's okay because it's a fairly progressive, sweeping policy shift that we just went through. And that's okay that not everybody's on board. It shows that we're actually moving pretty quickly. So we do now have a vote on the record where council members have expressed concerns about what this plan means for the districts and have stated that they don't necessarily agree with the direction it's going in. What power does it you know, really have if people can opt out of it for certain streets? The general plan sets kind of the rules of the game. So it sets what the city's priorities are, and and the city's priorities now are safety and access and reliability. It is not directly trying to make cars faster. And so that's what the policy shift is. And so now when you look at what projects are getting um, proposed, that's what they're going to get measured against. So if DOT comes up with a a project on a street, the the questions that they're going to be asking is, does this make the street safer? Does this make it more accessible for people that are walking and biking? And if it's on one of the transit-enhanced network streets, does it move buses faster? And so those are the questions that that they're going to be asking. And the concern potentially is that some of the streets, you know, Westwood, if you have those as your goals, it's pretty clear what the outcome needs to be. In order to make that street safer, you need to make it safe for the people that are already biking on it, over 800 people a day. And you're going to organize it better to better serve the, you know, there's 900 buses a day on Westwood Boulevard. And so we're going to look at how those move through the village smoothly. And then, you know, maybe the last priority is do you increase traffic or do you make it slower to drive through Westwood Village? I mean, I think a lot of the business owners there actually are supportive of the idea that you can't fly through Westwood Village and and that you have to slow down and look around and, and see what the businesses have to offer there. And so... You know, that, that's a policy shift, and I think that there is some concern that having that street in the networks means that it's going to have a conversation that doesn't necessarily maintain the status quo. Which is all very exciting. So it's, <laughs> it's extremely exciting. So it's a culture It's a culture shift, or it's like an enforced Huge culture time. shift. Huge time. It's going to get rid of traffic. <laughs> well, I think it'll be make it easier to, to, to move around even if, you know, we live in a big city and there's going to be traffic. I don't think that we would want to live here if there was no traffic because that would be a sign that people don't want to be here. But I think that if we do organize the street a little bit smarter and more efficiently, that people will have an option to not sit in that traffic unless they really, really have to. Nona Varnado's just entered the studio. Hey guys. We're on with Eric Bruins, and Hooray. we're talking about Hi, the Mobility Plan 2035. Do you want to... 
ask him or thank him or say anything about it? <laughs> um, I guess thank you for all of your amazing hard work and congratulations. I think everybody's celebrating. I've had random people from all over Los Angeles just like go, that's incredible, and ask me questions that I was not prepared to answer. So if you get a lot of emails, <laughs> Eric, my bad. <laughs> Well, maybe you can share what some of those questions work, and, and we can uh, put that information out there. Well, so I've had a few people from both uh, various parts of Los Angeles as well as outside of L.A., and I think the the sort of the thing that you guys just touched on, which is, you know, the, the number one response that, like, tourists or, like, visiting families have when they visit Los Angeles is like, oh, it's a great place, but I just couldn't live with the traffic. Then, of course, we always have to complain that there's too many people and it's too congested, but if we fix it and we make it this perfect place to live, then everyone's going to want to live here. And I think that the question that a lot of people have had is, like, how is the rollout going to affect their particular area? I think people who actually live in Los Angeles kind of understand that this district kind of doesn't have the same, you know, rollout that that district might have. And so people were like, well, when it actually happens, how much is it going to actually affect my neighborhood? And, you know, I had someone in Venice say, like, are we like Santa Monica? Are we really part of the city or do we get like a pass? Um, I had someone in East L.A. pretty much say, like, well, by the time it comes to, you know, to our area, is it going to get so watered down that we get, like, a, a coat of paint or what's, you know. <laughs> and people are asking for a pass? They are like, we don't want the mobility plan to come to our neighborhood? No, no, oh, no. No okay. one that I've talked to. Okay. Um, but then again, I'm, I'm probably in very bike-friendly circles. Okay, right, <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, it is going to depend on where you live. There are certainly some parts of the city that are more conducive to biking, busing, and walking. And one of the really exciting things about this plan is it recognizes that, and it'll kind of allows each neighborhood to maintain its character while really prioritizing those resources to the communities that are going to benefit the most. And so that's looking at, you know, where is the greatest potential where if you just made the streets safer, you know, all of the land uses are close enough together where people really could walk and bike. And I think the other element of it is this, uh, is around kind of looking at equity and seeing the collisions are not equally distributed throughout the city. Like there are more people getting hit, injured, and killed in central Los Angeles and downtown and West Lake MacArthur Park and South L.A., and in Boyle Heights, and recognizing that means that we're going to use data to prioritize what streets we work on and what we do on those streets. As there are some parts of the west side, there are some parts of the valley that just don't have the same opportunities that you do to really make significant changes um, like you see in the more kind of central L.A. area. And that's okay. And I think that this, this plan recognizes that, you know, we want to encourage every community that really embraces this stuff to have a full toolkit and be able to work with our council office to put stuff on the ground. But in terms of what are the things that we're going to really be looking to, to fix, it's going to be driven by that safety first goal. Um, you know, we have a goal now of reducing traffic um, fatalities and serious injuries to zero, and those are happening in particular neighborhoods. And so we're going to be proactively reaching out to folks in those neighborhoods, raising awareness about those issues, and then bringing real solutions to the community and seeing what the response is. And who are the major contributors? Are there any businesses that we can all go out and support more, enterprises that are the most interested in seeing this plan go into action besides Metro? Allies. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, well, I mean, that's actually one of the, the most exciting things, you know, and rewarding experiences for me in working on this is I was working on, you know, side-by-side side with the L.A. Area Chamber of Commerce, with the Business Federation, with uh, the Central City Association, with the Valley Industry and Commerce Association. So all of the cities, every single one of the city's major business groups 
was 100% on board with this plan. And they said that through every council meeting, every commission hearing along the way. So we were standing side by side where they're saying these networks are really important. We need to keep them intact. Please don't start taking things out. And what that translated to is we want to see the bike stuff go in. We want to see the vehicle enhanced network go in. We want to see the transit improvements because we see this as a whole package deal. That said, I have to give a particular shout out to the Westwood Village Improvement Association. Their business community really rallied in support of the bike lanes on Westwood. They came out every single step of the way. And they worked very closely with UCLA Transportation to really make sure that the community's voice there was heard, even though the council district, unfortunately, really hasn't been receptive to that message. um, (laughs) The business community has been really vocal, and they just they deserve a lot of credit. That's super awesome. Thank you, Westwood Village. So one of the things that I thought was really exciting was, you know, just what Eric pointed out, how many people are on board. And I also thought it was really interesting that in a lot of the just sort of general coverage, that the two council members who didn't support it were very much called out. It wasn't just that two council members didn't support it. They were named. And I thought that was really interesting. But one of the, a lot of the feedback that I'm getting is people like, well, that's great. But, you know, LA had a bike plan and now we have, you know, this like fig for all like crisis. Some people are just like, we don't want to see that happen again. Can can you just describe the fig for all crisis real quickly? (laughs) Uh, Eric, do you want to take that one? (laughs) There's been a campaign to, to improve safety on North Figueroa Street for I want to say the better part of a decade. I mean, that goes back to the very beginning of the, of the bike plan process in, like, what, 2006, um, where folks really started raising their voices around making North Figueroa safe to, to walk and bike. And that's why it was in the bike plan and then it carried forward into the mobility plan. So that's clearly a conversation that needs to continue to happen. There's somebody killed every year on North Figueroa for the past 10 years, and so that's clearly not acceptable. That's going to be probably one of the proving grounds for whether this plan has teeth is is we're setting the goal of zero fatalities in the city of Los Angeles and you have a street that has one fatality every year. That's going to be someplace that you do look at pretty early on because it's a high priority. And at some point when you leave with the data, the data doesn't lie. And, And, you know, you can hem and haw about what the solutions are. But ultimately, you have to address that street. And I, I do think that we're going to come back and, and look at that street more holistically in the future. You talked about the neighborhoods that don't have as much accidents or collisions. Why don't those neighborhoods? Part of it has to do with the fact that in central Los Angeles, that's kind of the older city. And so you have two, two factors. One is it's a little bit more built up. And so you just have more people walking and biking. And then the other thing is because it was kind of more early part of the city, the infrastructure is just really outdated, and some of it's not in good repair, whether it's sidewalks that are cracking, they don't have curb ramps, so wheelchairs are, aren't able to cross the intersections. Um, and, and some of it is, you know, back in the 1930s, 1940s, and 1920s in some cases. Like, the standards were just different, and they didn't know how to build. They, were, they weren't looking at what particular design standards meant for um, pedestrian safety. And so we just know how to do things better now. And so we, we do need to, to really look at those kind of central city intersections and and kind of redesign them from the ground up to prioritize safety. Figueroa is one of those central city type streets. You know, I think that street is where one of the council members is at. How are you going to get past, I guess, his objections of it? (laughs) We clearly need to continue to try to develop a better relationship with that council office. Um, I don't think that anybody would object to that. But at the same time, you know, at some point we need to put out the data, we need to put out what's happening, we need to make the case, 
And it's up to the council office to make a decision. And so if they decide that they don't value the safety and a more balanced street, then that's kind of their prerogative. And so, you know, we need to make that case. If that case is appealing to them on the merits, and if they don't agree on the merits, then we need to figure out what the next steps are um, in terms of changing the leadership in that district. But I think that's exactly where we're at. Some people have just walked away from beating a dead horse because the data's there, um, the meetings have been done, the outreach has been done, the tears have been cried. I mean, and it's just gotten to almost this ideological thing of yes and no. You know, we might be the majority or the silent majority of drivers or who knows. But regardless, that outreach, that data, all of that stuff has been done. And now we're just talking about a council member who just is not going to go with with what, you know, there's clearly a lot of support for. And if we can't do that, then you're right. I think that that is. But the, the question is, is like. Um, I think for a lot of people, it's like, oh, man, we have all of these other steps in place. We've done all of the work. There's this huge history. There's this big groundswell for it. And now we just have this one politician in place. And how long and like how much more work do we have to do just to go after that one person, which I think is is kind of beautiful and amazing because, you know, a few years ago when people started saying the all-powerful bike lobby, you know, there'd be just like chuckles all over and, you know, <laughs> we we kind of, you know, walk our Tevas to the other side of the room. But, <laughs> um, you know, now when we, we look at like how organized the, you know, bike ped community is where we've gotten to this point and now we're like, well, we need to laser focus on this one politician so that we can make things happen. That's That's pretty amazing. And this, it is. These, and I, and I, you oh, know, I think ahead. that there's been a lot of activity up, up in that district on that street in particular, but I do think that we haven't necessarily brought all the right partners to the table. To his credit, Councilmember Cedillo, you know, raised, like, why aren't we working through the Family Source Center that reach populations that don't speak English, and whether they're speaking Mandarin or whether they're speaking Spanish, mm-hmm. I think that there is a lot of outreach that we could still do better. And I do think that as we build more partnerships, we need to be sensitive to the shifting de- the shifting demographics of those communities and make sure that we are inclusive on our side and that we are representing the whole community. Clearly, we have very significant disagreements about what we think that street should look like, but I also don't want to be deaf to some fairly legitimate criticism about how the city does outreach, how we do outreach, um, and make sure that as we're moving forward, we are intentionally bringing new partners to the table to kind of overcome some of those those issues. How can the people listening today take action or help this move forward any further? Is there anything the listeners can do? Absolutely. The first thing really is get involved with the Bike Coalition. Clearly, we won this battle this particular round, but it's going to come back Um, when we do consider those amendments, and we're going to have to figure out exactly how to stand our ground on these proposed changes to the bike networks. We need as many people involved as possible. So the best thing to do is go to our website and sign up for our newsletter just so you are getting the updates. And if you want to get more involved directly, we have a neighborhood bike ambassador program. Um, And these are the folks that are on the ground. They're doing that door-to-door outreach. They're strategizing around how to engage different community members. And ultimately, they're the ones that are coming out in force at these committee hearings to to make themselves heard. So that's really where we need to get all of the energy. Awesome. Bike Ambassador, does it have its own little place on Facebook or anything? You get Um, newsletters or little emails about what's happening and where you're supposed to show up, right? Yeah, we, we kind of have a, I don't want to say a secret list, but, a, but basically if you sign up as a bike ambassador, you're added to a, a list that's a little bit more action-oriented. So mm-hmm. the newsletter is kind of like, this is what happened, you know, or if we need a particular, if you need, we need you to send an email in, 
that goes out to the full list. But if you want to get involved, show up at hearings, go door knocking, um, that's really what the bike ambassadors do. And so if you go to our, our website, which is www.la-bike.org, you'll see a, a button on the homepage about the Neighborhood Bike Ambassador Program and how to sign up for that. Awesome. Thank you very much, Eric. Cool. Thank you. No, no, anything else? Well, there's the LA Bike Count coming up, which is always a fun thing to volunteer for, and that's going to help out with a lot of those numbers that are so helpful. So, Oh, uh, yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. That's actually one of the biggest <laughs> things. Was, I was wondering, right like, you know. I can't know, believe I forgot to mention it. It, it. You're usually so incredibly on top of all of that stuff that I just thought it was kind of cute that, that you Slipping. had a momentary lapse. <laughs> 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 so yeah, that, that's, but that's another thing that if you do go to our website, you'll you'll find out more information about. And, and um, we we need to just to give you guys an idea of what the scale of that is. We have at least 120, and we're still figuring out what locations we want to add to that. Different locations around the city where we need volunteers to count, and there's three different shifts at every location. So we're talking about mobilizing well over 400 volunteers across the city, and we basically like this is all hands on deck for folks that care about biking and walking. I just want to be on the river or by a coffee shop so I can be like <laughs> three, four, ten, twenty, a hundred. And so that would entail, for anyone interested in coming out, that would entail holding a little clicker, standing there, and being a aware observer of people passing and just clicking? We will give you a clipboard with a tally sheet, and, and we're, in addition to the number, we, you know, we want to count things like the number of women that go by. We want to know the direction that folks are going. We want to know... If you're on a street, whether the, the cyclist is riding with traffic or against mm-hmm. traffic, whether they're riding on the sidewalk, um, whether they're wearing a helmet, and those, those types of uh, you know additional information allow us to kind of make some conclusions about how well the infrastructure works. You know, what we've found in the past is if you add a bike lane, you reduce wrong way riding, and you also cut sidewalk riding in half. Right. In certain parts of the city, helmet use is more widespread. One interesting thing that we found on helmet use is that helmet use is actually highest on bike paths and lowest on the most dangerous street. And I think that it's it's just one of those things where there's been a lot of attention on that, and I think one of the the interesting things for us is that if you – helmet in many ways is is an indication about how safety-conscious that person is and how risk-averse that they are. And so what that means is that, you know, when you build a safer facility – you, you really do turn out the folks that are very conscious about their safety, and you do um, increase ridership among folks that are otherwise too, too nervous to ride on the street. And so we know that bike infrastructure works large in large part because of these counts. Awesome. Cool. Well, yeah, thank you for all that you guys have been doing. I mean, I've been following it as an observer, but... I wish I could do some of those bike counts. I've done it before for um, other organizations, and they're great, but um, I won't be in town that week. I guess that weekend. <laughs> well, then we need even more volunteers. Come on, listeners. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Yep, S- September 16th and 19th, so definitely see if you can volunteer. So LACBC? It's LA-bike.org. Was LACBC.org taken or something? Yeah, I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> or other. Probably like an oil company. <laughs> <laughs> Ironically enough. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Sarah. That was good. Great to have you, Carla. Cool. Thank you. Have a great day. All right. Bye-bye. All right. So that worked. And now we have somebody in the studio who is a one-man army of bicycle touring. I'm going to use that phrase as much as possible. I was going to say, I mean, like... Both of us have gotten into bike touring, and I haven't heard about any of your adventures, except for, like, all the beautiful pictures on Facebook. (laughs) Thanks. Well, now you guys can catch up right here in the studio. Yeah. It's just Uh, us and all of our imaginary best friends. Right, right. (laughs) Around the world. So, you know Nona, Johnny? 
Uh, yeah, we we've met a couple of times from uh, group rides, uh, the sweet rides, yeah. a couple of those. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. the bike fam. Like at some point, you're just like we've known each other for years. Yeah. Bikes were involved. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so Nona is Bike Culture Institute and Bike Trains, and what else? We are working on the bike library for Bicycle Culture Institute right now, and that's been a long term project. The relevant piece of that is that we put together lesson plans based on these workshops that we used to do. And the workshops were, like, basically how-tos that we would do, like, after work. that would be a few hours long, and we'd get, like, local experts to come in. We, you know, we'd try to structure it out, you know, so that there was, like, kind of a game plan and people didn't just kind of wander off topic. One of the most popular ones we did was bike touring, mm-hmm. and we packed the house for that one. That's and cool. I did this all of this research on... Um, because you know, it's always changing, like what airline policies are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Amtrak is always, uh, there's a reason why they call it experience the adventure as a tagline. Right. right. Not necessarily positive. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Um, and so we went through all of that stuff. You know, we kind of talked about like the whole uh, hike and bike campsite situations and stuff like that. And I mean, it was probably the one workshop we have where people were, like, on the edge of their seats, like, taking notes and being wow. like, really, really, you know. Everything else, people were just like, yeah, that's cool, that's cool. But, like, bike touring, they're like, so what about fires? <laughs> <laughs> well, wow. it's probably the realm in which it, coming into it, you have to be pretty diehard. And you also are probably like, okay, there's a bunch of things that I'm going to have to think about before I go into this. But I I think that's actually not the case. And, you know, I talk to a lot of people who are, and I hate this term, but bike curious, you know, or like maybe they (laughs) have a a bike, but (laughs) they like don't, they haven't really gotten into riding bikes for transportation. They're intimidated by group rides. So, you know, they're, they're very bike light and, um, I get a lot of questions about bike touring, and I think partially it's because um, people like you and then, like, Pathless Pedaled, and yeah. um, we have, like, a few people who are really creating beautiful images that people are starting to see of these, like, how epic bike touring looks like, or they have a friend who's done it. I think it's, like, sort of popular for, um, you know, retired people or, like, collegiate <laughs> age, and so, like, people both younger and older than that are like, so what's that all about? It looked kind of cool. All right. And, you know, then I think that interest speaks it. And it's also for people who are really planning oriented, you know, because people feel like if they can plan something, they can control it. And I think one of the big fears or reasons why people don't bike more often is because they don't feel like they're in control. That, like, at any given time, like, maybe a car could come out of nowhere and hit them or that, like, things are beyond their control. Or the metro will come early. Who knows? Right. Right. Um, And I think that the idea – or the the concept around bike touring is that if you just plan the heck out of it, you know, it's all under control. <laughs> right. Which is funny because that's totally the opposite, opposite of the right. truth. Right. Right. Not it. to scare you guys away, you planners. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, I think it's the appeal that people are seeing through all this social uh, media, like what you were saying, Nona. Um, and I think f- people are living through that fantasy. They want to experience it and want to be out there. But I, that's great to hear that there's people... Uh, you know, they're waiting for that kind of opportunity. And this is what really what inspired me to kind of do what I'm doing. I just want to show that you want to be out there. You, if you want to do it, just go out and just do it. I, it's simple what, as that. <laughs> you were inspired by other people? I was. Yeah. Pathless Pedal was one of them. And I actually had a, uh, another friend who rode across the country from uh, Boston. Um, her name was Victoria Merriman. She did it maybe about 
uh, six years ago when I just got started, and that was very inspirational. I saw her. That's on, the girl you saw with the with the paneers, and it, you were like, "What's going on?" That this is the girl I met um, last year when I was coming down the Pacific Coast, and I was reaching out just to, to find out where she was and what she's doing because I hadn't seen her for like five, six years, and we coincidentally bumped into each other at a campsite. So you were Such all, a small world. A really small world. But you were already touring when you met her. Yeah, I was already touring, but we had no no idea what our um, our plans were. And it was just coincidental that we showed you up at the same. You're both Instagramming, and you're like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> we're <laughs> I, at the cam- same campsite. <laughs> I wish it was that simple, but it was just like, hey, I know you, and it just happened. It was serendipitous. That is serendipitous. <laughs> yeah. So she was one of the inspiration for uh, me beginning to get out there and kind of see the world that way mm. yeah and what did you start with once you once you met her and found out cycling was a thing oh yeah did uh, you start with a group ride did you start with a with the blog that you're here to talk to us about today no or? i just went out and uh, found another guy in the bicycling community that was talking about bike touring and we just went out to uh Kachuma lake which is up near santa barbara and just did a four four day trip from la all the way to santa barbara and come coming back down, and that as was, your first ride, as a first ride, that's awesome. <laughs> and Jeez. we both we both had like you know those extra cycles, the long long bikes mm. initially, and that was such a bad idea. Long bikes, I've never even heard of this. Like it's cargo bikes. Oh, it's, okay, yeah, okay. Where you attach it and it makes the bike a little gotcha. longer. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. that's one of the things that I like to tell people is because there seems to be like this. There's you know it's so different. Like you have maybe so much to plan for. Like logistically, it's no joke if you're doing a long tour. Right. But you could just wing it and maybe yep. not a, do a good yep. job over like a weekend trip. Right. And especially here in Southern California, we have so many options. Like you can basically take Amtrak or just pedal in any given direction. Right. You'll hit a mountain or something not too long, yeah. and then you can just, like, wing it. And, you know, if it's just one or two days, then you'll realize, like, what all your gear problems are, right. like, what all of those things that you need to get together. And it's, like, very low risk. Like, yep. worst-case scenario, you call somebody and you're like, <laughs> uh, this didn't work out. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So I've been thinking about taking a day trip a lot recently, like, to – and then I looked on Amtrak and – oh, no, I looked on – I think it – I forget. One of those sites. It wasn't Pathless Pedal. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. It was one of those tour tour sites. Yeah. But it was a different one. It was such a cool one, too. I'm sorry. I forgot the name. But um, so they recommended the this, they have on Bikely their actual route from the San Luis Obispo Amtrak station to Robles something. Paso Robles. And it's a 70-kilometer uh, thing. I think but it I, might be the uh, Pathless Pedal. They did something like that. Oh. And they had a recommendation. On, Maybe it was Pathless. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I want to turn that into a day trip by going halfway to Morro Bay and then back to the Amtrak. Yeah. Um, but I looked on Amtrak and I didn't even see San Luis Obispo as one of the ticket options. It, it is It is the last stop for uh, the Pacific Surfliner um, okay. route. So that's the one where you could actually roll on with your bikes. Um, versus uh, if you take any other, like the Cascade, you actually have to check in your bike as luggage. So, Which is something you have to figure out ahead of time? Yes, oh. yes. But there's guides for that, videos. I mean, the PathX pedal, actually, they, they've done it where they show you how to even pack the bike oh. in the boxes that they provide in Amtrak. Yeah. We gotta, do we have to do that? No, no. no. For the, the one too slow, you, you don't. You just roll up with your, with your bike. But you do have to reserve a ticket that states that you bring you're bringing a bike 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. The Amtrak conductors are generally very surly, and they want to see your bike reservation. <laughs> oh, that is that fair to say? It is very fair to say. Really? I have had. Listen, I I regularly take trips on Amtrak because I don't own a car. So anytime I want to like go see family or do anything or whatever, I'm on Amtrak. Like yeah. I'm a regular. Should have like so many frequent flyer miles on that. <laughs> um, they don't even do that though, huh? They do. They actually oh. have a program and all that other stuff. Okay. I, you know, like is three it years into the reward. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you get – it's like anything else. You get people of all different personalities, moods, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, I would say that regardless – like I've had people refuse to let me on board with it, with a valid ticket and everything. Really? Because I didn't have the bike reservation or I couldn't prove it or whatever. And uh, – Sometimes, like, the most frustrated I have ever gotten, like, in my life has been at Amtrak because I was like, I got here. It took me an hour. You know, it's like this huge thing. Um, and, and you know, you don't even know that I'm supposed to be allowed on here. There's actually – I can see there's room. I can see it. Right. And then getting denied. And it's like it's <sighs> soul-crushing. But just because so avoid the- it. Avoid it. Get, <laughs> get the reservations. Play by the rules. Yeah. Go through the hoops and it will be fine. Right. Well, there's an aspect of planning that you have to yeah, do. Yeah, for yeah. sure. But you, if you wing it, you'll find it all out. Also, they have a really great uh, 800 number. So if you are like last minute and you realize there's a train, yep. just call them up. USA make the Rail. reservations. Yeah. <laughs> 1-800-USA-RAILS. And then, and then they can't really argue with you. You're like, check it, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's an extra number. USA uh, Rails? Is probably it just without US? the S. Yes. Oh, yeah. okay. Rail. USA Rails. Yeah. Do you just add S's to things? I do. I like to make <laughs> things plural, so. That's cuter. <laughs> well, that's why at first I had a hard, hard time finding your website because uh-huh. I forgot to add the S. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> milestone. Is? It's right. milestonerides.com yeah. and not milestone ride. Yeah. But if you type it into Google, you're like the fourth thing looked up. Oh, really? Yeah, like oh. milestone with the S, oh, they cool. they were thinking. Nice. I didn't think to follow those people though, because I thought, oh, that they're they're thinking something else, right? You know. <laughs> well, you just need a few more tours, and then you can be number one for I'm, sure. I'm mm-hmm. trying. Yeah. I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> no, but not to not to switch gears on any of this, but I want to give Johnny mad props on his website because it's very thoroughly well organized, yeah, which I, is a you. thing for me. I'm so big on organization and thoroughness, and you've really got it going on. I told you, you that, you. right? Let's come again. I that was my comment to you when I first showed you the website. Oh, oh yes, yeah, yes, so yes, yes, yes. Yeah, you get credit for that. I also Whoa. think the content and the pictures are amazing. Oh, thank I'm you. Full yeah, yeah, package yeah, over yeah, here, yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah. Full package. Very yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. So, and you designed it yourself. I did. I did. It's, it was a theme that I kind of tweaked with it. Uh, the color scheme, of course, I picked it out. <laughs> Actually, it was very random because it was my bike and my brother-in-law's bike at the time. So it was black and red. So I just went with that. And what we're talking about is his website where he documents his travels and helps give uh, – what would be it? Reviews be of stuff I use, and things that he uses on his travels. Here, you tell them more. Yeah, it's yeah. Thing. So, yeah, what really, service do you provide? Well, I, I really, what I'm doing right now is trying to get more people out there touring in Los Angeles. Um, I, you know, when I started doing the tours, I just didn't have. I mean, there's a lot of people who are interested, but I didn't have anybody that said, "Yeah, I want to do it." So, because of this, I started the website and see, trying to figure out like what are some of these barriers, and it's. Um, I find out like it's just a matter of just 
getting out there and doing it. And camp camping stuff is actually a big thing. It's not even the bike because um, you know most people in our circles there they have the bikes. They just don't have the camping equipment. And I just want to eliminate those barriers and say like we have this group that has. Um, things you could borrow for like an overnight trip, and you could do oh, it. Oh, you're like an REI, kind of. I mean, like loosely, a, like an REI library. <laughs> <laughs> not yet, not yet. I do have a good, solid group of people through a, a meetup I just started um, about a, in January. So we have a tour every month. How can we find it? Oh, it's uh, if you go to milestonerides.com/slash/meetup, it'll go directly to that meetup uh, location. And Say that again, Moss. Milestone Mile- Rise. Oh, duh. Yeah, my- sorry. <laughs> I, I, I thought that sounded like a totally different word. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, no problem. <laughs> MilestoneRides.com slash meetup. And um, they I, I put up at least a tour a month. And uh, we go to various places in wow. Southern California. Um, Where are you going next? This this month we're going to Catalina Island. <gasps> Ooh. Yeah, a- you got to take the boat. You do. Okay. (laughs) We're not riding there. So, but you get a free ride on the boat if it's your birthday. They don't do it anymore? They do. Oh, yeah, they do, yeah. If that day is your birthday. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, that's a that's. Can you do that again on January 6th? Uh, Sure. (laughs) We'll see if we can work something out. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, but it's going to be a really good trip. Um, First time I'm going to be there, and it's uh, one of those epic, like, off. It's pretty hilly there. Yeah, exactly. Not to scare anybody away. Can you handle that? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm, are you guys going to camp there? We are going to camp there oh, for that one was a night. Stupid question. And come back down. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 do you do like how does it work? How who who comes to you, and then what do you personally advise people? And uh, not at this, not at this point right now. Um, I do. Uh, I'm trying to still figure out like the logistics side of things, even though I've done it for so long. There's still the customer service, and that I I think I need to kind of sharpen my skills on. Hmm. Um, so I've actually. Am contracted out to work with uh, Adventure Cycling, and they're a national known organization that hires uh, people to kind of staff their tours. And they have so many different type of tours. I just came back from Colorado doing what they call a family fun tour, mm-hmm. where you know a parent and a couple of their kids are riding in like I say about like 200 miles in a uh, course of a week. And so we're a part of the staff to kind of move people around and making sure that they're they're okay and. You know, they they got their water, they got their food, all that. So you follow them in a car? Uh, no. There's uh, usually, like, three riders and, like, a luggage truck and then, like, maybe one car floating for SAG. Oh, and so you'd be a, a rider yes. with them? Yes. And what, you bring up their water bottle? Like, here, you guys thirsty? <laughs> no, no, no. Oh. Not like that. We're, we're, you know, the idea is they're, it's their vacation, and we're only there just to help. So we have, you know, just like a group ride, you have a leader and you have a, a sweep. And so you got to make sure everyone um, who are riding are ahead of you in your sweep. And if they have, if they need water, you have extra water bottles or oh, okay. or food for them if they need that. Cool. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah, it's just mainly for safety. It's, it's a main yeah. concern there. Yeah, I like and there's that. Five of you staff for, for that particular ride. Yes, um, uh, I'm also doing another one where we're taking a bunch of riders, like 13 riders, down the coast from Washington to uh, Eugene, Oregon. Uh, Bellingham to Eugene, and how much um, time is allotted for that? That's about two and a half weeks. Cool. Yeah, and wow. uh, it's a van. That's considered a van tour, mm-hmm. where one of us would be driving in a van, the other one would be riding. We'll switch off or however we want to do it. But they do have what they call epic tours, where you ride with the group all across, like the country, for example. 
Cool. Yeah. So there's that. <laughs> Have you done that one yet? Not yet. I'm, I'm signing up for、uh, next year because that's their 40th anniversary, and so they're looking for a lot of people to、um, see if they can help staff. But you have to go through training if you're in interested. Good、that. heads up. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I would just say, for, I mean, that is all completely amazing. But I like to go to like the fantasy place, you know, because I think that after a while and you've done tours, like、yeah. you always want to do it again. Like that's the thing. Like once you're done, you're like, I. Don't want to go back to normal life. Let's do that again. <laughs> and there's so many beautiful things to explore. And there's like you know you can do small ones, you can build, and all this other stuff. Yeah. But the one tour that has always blown my mind that I was like, I got to do that before I am too old to do it because it is epic. <laughs> is have you ever heard of the Tour de Afrique? Oh, I've heard of that. Yes. Yeah.、That's、so、crazy. it's the entire continent of Africa. Cool. It, yeah, and it's run by this Canadian like adventure company. And like I emailed them a few years ago. I was like, if you ever need anything, <laughs> send out the bat signal. Yeah. yeah.、Um, but they start basically in Morocco and go all the way to South Africa on bikes. So you wouldn't do it as like a. a Paying customer, you'd rather do it because it's hard, right? I mean, you got to pay. Yeah, what yeah. is it, ten thousand dollars? I don't know. Some, yeah, something like amazing like that. I mean, it's definitely for someone who's either a lot more financially comfortable、right. or who's maybe retired or something like that. Which, you know, if it, considering all of the awesome tours available to people who are retired, that's <laughs> probably one of the most epic. Yeah, that's pretty epic. I've I've heard of、uh, like in my. Touring circles,、uh, mm -hmm. some people who've done it, and it's a really tough ride. How long do they allot for that one? Months, like six three months, months six three months. to six months. <laughs> wow. Yeah, but you, you're dealing with lots the, of water. Yeah, <laughs> the environment,、um, just you know, the people, the animals, all that. It's really intense through that ride. <laughs> Imagine, and then、yeah. there's probably South America. Same thing they do the whole Americas. Yeah, people do. I'd be interested on in seeing if Workaway. The the、uh, website where you can situate a working environment for yourself wherever you travel to across、uh -huh. the world. I'd be interested if they want to do a collaboration for like their own tour to Africa,、uh -huh. where they kind of have you like, yes, okay, you will be taking your bike down the continent. I think that trip would take like ten years, though. Oh, <laughs>、uh, <laughs> you know, you'd volunteer someplace, right? And then you'd go like I don't know, five hundred miles, and then you'd volunteer for a few weeks, and then like ten years later, you'd be like, <laughs> Africa's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be good for someone like myself with no concept of time. Perfect, perfect. <laughs>、yeah. um, so, do you want to go down the list of? Things that are cool to have on a tour, yeah, for sure.、Mean? I mean, you know, start off with with a bike, of course.、Um, I I usually say it's whatever bike you want to ride with because、um, you can actually there's different ways of putting like luggage on your bike.、Um, there's mountain bikes that have like what do you call it? Those lugs that you can actually put、uh, racks on. They even have、uh, what they call、uh, like frame bags, bags that actually attach onto your bike that you can do more lightweight type of touring. Um, I'm barely getting into that, but I'm more of the traditional,、um, you know, panniers on the racks, front and rear, handlebar bags. What is this other thing you're talking about? They're kind of like,、um, they, they they call it bike packing,、mm -hmm. and、uh, it's it's like luggage, it's like packs that you could just put on like handlebar, your seat bag, and the rear、um, on the frame on the frame side of things. If if it's large enough, you can fit stuff in there,、um, and. People who do that usually do off-roading, and they're more of the mountain bike scene where they're riding like days on out in the wild, and 
they're just fully self-supported in that sense. And um, it's really lightweight and you're nimble and you don't have to worry about your bags being caught on like you know, trees or branches or rocks or whatever. So it's just the that trail. the bags clip onto your frame instead yeah. of a rack. Yeah, exactly. Huh. Yeah, it's really cool. It's really minimalist. Um, it's it's starting to build in popularity, but the more traditional sense of things is the panniers and racks, is which what I've been, I've been doing for the past couple of years here. But I'm I'm experimenting with the other side of things, of course, with this Catalina trip here. So, yeah, um, essential stuff. Obviously, you need a tent if you're going to stay out. Tent, um, lightweight tent. Sleeping pad, sleeping uh, bag, um, and if you're going to cook, a stove. I mean, that's really all you need. If you want to do it really quick all night, uh, overnight, mm-hmm. that's it. I mean, you don't even need to change clothing because you come back like with less than you know twelve hours or, or whatnot. Uh-huh. I mean, it's not it's not a bad deal. So. Uh, specifications for the tent? Um, I've had a two person tent because I like to have more space. Um, but they do, as you go bigger, of course, the, the package gets bigger for you to carry and it's heavier. Um, I've actually uh, bought a new one recently that's a one-person tent. I'm still trying to get used to that because I, I do like having things like near me when I'm uh, sleeping. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is it because you're afraid someone might be able to take it if it's not near you? That's one thing. I and mean, you, you have animals too, like uh, certain places like <laughs> raccoons. Raccoons everywhere. Yes. <laughs> yes. So they get into your bags and you just want to make sure that you're, you're there to rip it from their paws. Yeah. One time <laughs> I saw this, this whole family that was camping, they, they left their food out on the picnic table and I was on my way back from the bathroom and there were like 15 raccoons all over the food. Yeah, I was like, wow, this is exciting. I'm like, this is <laughs> There's a certain number of raccoons nature. That, that you just you have to give up, right? I mean, I would think after seven. After seven, yeah. yeah. Well, they didn't look mean. I mean, I guess if you if they wanted their food back after that, they could have just been shoo-shoo. Right. But I just walked by them because I'm – I guess that now I feel bad, but I, I kind of took the <laughs> raccoon side. I was like, well – they, they're here. It's their food now. Right. <laughs> yeah. So um, and, that, and then that, that the sleeping bag. I mean, the uh, tent goes in the. Uh, you don't put it on a backpack. You no, no. I put it on the rear, the rack, the rear rack there. Uh-huh. Um, if, if it's small enough, I throw it in the panniers, which you, which is what I have now. <laughs> do you have a backpack? No. Okay. I try not to carry too much on my back because it's uh, you know, on hot weather, it's it's a sweaty mess. <laughs> And then you do have to carry extra clothes for late night because then you have a wet back that you need to, like, have a dry shirt for. Right. But they make uh, material, like, you could wear uh, wool or even synthetic material that dries, that quick dries and everything. Then there's that. There's that. But so clothes. <laughs> like what, so that is one thing yes. for clothes. Yes. Uh, wool, quick dry, smart wool. Smart wool, quick dry, any kind of technical fabric. Um, I tend to not wear, um, like, bike jerseys. I'm not really – I don't like the tight fit of that. I like wearing hiking things like hiking lightweight hiking shorts or shirts that wicks away really quick, um, and it's you look more human when you're off the bike. <laughs> no, no offense to people well, who are riding. Known as into looking human. Yeah. Aw, thanks, guys. <laughs> yeah. Well, and alien at the same time. And Muppet. I I feel so accepted. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> no, but isn't that one of your principles that you don't you don't wear stuff specifically for biking? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think principle is maybe taking a little far. I mean, I'm definitely someone who has several spandex kits for going straight up into the mountains on a fancy road bike and shredding as hard as I can. But, I mean, like, I rode here and I'm wearing this 
you know, dress that's made out of like linen and hemp and stuff like that with light shorts. And so, I mean, I really I've come to this philosophy of like uh, functional apparel that is very comfortable and I can move and do everything that I want in it. But that, you know, I look like a woman mm-hmm. and I look like I could potentially go into like some place you know, like a cafe or a shop and not have people go, oh, so you're on a bike tour. <laughs> um, right. And, you know, I think that that's sort of, for me, it's a blend of the idea that, you know, transportation, bicycling isn't something where you need to get kitted up. You can just, yeah. I mean, ultimately you can, and I, I say this, I can ride a bike in anything that includes any shoes, platform heels, like whatever. If it's got like a little peg, I can make it go. Um right. But it's really about comfort, and so I think that people have their own comfort range, though it's good to experiment, you know. I also believe in, like, you know, the the hemp, which I'm really big into natural fibers, um, and that actually dries very fast. It's very cool, um, so I sweat less. Um, and, you know, I've, I've really gotten into finding what works for me and what works for me is like, I've noticed there's just like structural aspects about how our garments constructed. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like I can't have too many buttons up if I have, you know, like weaves that don't move or stretch or anything like that. That's probably not going to be something I wear a lot of. Um, and then also like, you know, you sort of. There's a like a very European way of thinking that you should only have a few things, but they should all work together. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So like all your colors kind of look like they belong together. And that way you can do more with less. Um, and that way, if you don't plan things or you're just sort of throwing things and going, then it looks like you planned it. Right. right. As opposed to like, oh, someone didn't pay attention when they woke up this morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, I bet, I'm, I'm sure Johnny doesn't coordinate his colors. Mm, no, but I, 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 I stick with the basics like. You know, yeah. That sounds like a sexist assumption there. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. I, I shouldn't have. I, I, well, I didn't realize. <laughs> Don't tell me you didn't coordinate your colors today, Nick. I did, actually. Okay, then. <laughs> Why did you assume that the male in the but, room but did not his, coordinate And his accessories are fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> he even did something with his hair today for you guys. <laughs> He never does anything. No, she's with, talking about me. Yeah. She knew. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is make fun of you time. I the I listeners come. can't tell, but we're all just gawking at Nick right now. Uh, it's called a comb. <laughs> well, you've never used one of those things with me before. Moving on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, clothes-wise, I, I bring – I try to – minimize as much as I can. It's like three. For me, it's really just about the the top base layer. Like what's the most comfortable, like basically shirt or if you have a jersey, whatever it is, the thing that you just like could wear nonstop for a week. And then a super light, like basically windbreaker. Those two things are pretty much all you need. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is like your shorts. Some people have really particular feelings about their bike shorts. And I think if you're touring, just bike short it up. Like, yeah. if, especially a lot of men don't like wearing bike shorts. Um, and so go ahead, put some cargos or, or baggies or whatever it is you want over them. Yeah. Just, like, maintain that level of, like, sweat wicking and personal comfort, and you're good to go forever. If you don't have it, you'll regret it. Right. <laughs> Ooh, something you just made me think of, and I don't know if you guys had the same experience, but uh, underwear with the elastic 
that's too close to like the inner just leg. Say no. No. Just yeah. say no. Don't totally do not bring no. that with you or have it or wear it or anything because I feel like the longer you're on the bike for, the more likely you're going to get like ho- yeah, Chafing. hard, painful holes. I don't yeah. even I don't even own anything like that. Yeah, like yeah. it's not gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. maybe you, when you're in camp, but not not when you're riding. That's right. for sure. <laughs> yeah, but then, come on, think about the visual, you guys. Like, I'm going to get into camp and put my granite panties on. You know, just get real comfortable in here. <laughs> no, it's after the shower, right? So, I mean, yeah. What? <laughs> and pre-smores. Yeah, pre-smores. <laughs> what kind of underwear are we talking about? <laughs> well, I mean, a lot of the underwear that I did my first tour in had the elastic, just like they were normal, just regular panties. Like women's panties. I don't know. Men, men have the, what's that called? Boycut shorts. And so your elastic is further down on your thigh. Mm-hmm. So therefore you don't get, the, I don't think you get the chafing that a woman would potentially get. But from- I, I think that this is like another place in which the future is saving us because material technology right. is so awesome. Yeah. Like right. I don't even see, I don't even see that garment being sold anymore because everything's like seamless or all that. I mean, maybe I'm just like shopping for technical apparel or something. No, you I are. You're, I think you're more intelligent in the shopping department. Yeah. I, I need to get a shopping list from you. Well, you know, maybe we should collaborate yeah. on like a shopping list <laughs> yeah. or, or like yes. a borrow. Actually, how about a shopping list for personal garments that you might not want to share? Like, right, you know, right. I probably don't want to share undergarments, nope. but um, and then maybe putting together like all of the wonderful resources that you guys are making available. Yeah, that'd be good. That actually makes a really making good making connection. Good post. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so th- yeah, we could just. This was the the most. We could just keep going about clothes. There's just like yeah. so much. Oh, you guys is. are the best. No, I, wanna, I want I want Nona to tell the audience today what I, I want to hear what Nona's working on right now. I saw a I saw a photo shoot that you recently did uh with someone somewhere and it was beautiful. You I think you need to further explore that topic. Do you know what I'm talking about? It was Bicycle Magazine maybe or oh, it was um, Momentum. Thank you. Was it thank you. Yeah. Um I've been I've been featured in both of those magazines this last year and okay. but uh, you know a few years ago, when before I moved to LA, I had uh, a company making bike clothes for women, but it was lifestyle stuff. So it wasn't like spandex. I didn't really do anything with spandex. I had one or two spandex pieces, but they were like geared towards spin class, you know, lifestyle-y stuff. And really the idea was that, you know, this was before City Bike, when it was very rare to see women biking for transportation. And, you know, I myself, like, had a fancy job in Manhattan and would kind of hide to get like the bike clothes off me before I went into work. (laughs) And I was so mad because just like in racing and everything else in life, there were all these beautiful options for men to look cool. And it was bomb proof and tailored cut (laughs) and all this other stuff. And there was nothing for women. So I was like, I'm going to do it. And of course that was like before women cared about that. So I did it. And then like my audience was tiny. Um, But it was a really great learning experience. And the great thing about coming out to California is that I'm making the same choices that you are, which is I don't really want to wear bike stuff unless I am very specifically on that road ride. Um, Even when I go mountain biking now, I don't even wear mountain biking clothes. You know what I mean? And uh, 
And I got so much into wearing just normal clothes to bike that I'd be like, ah, oh, it's such a pain in the ass that there's no pockets here. You know, if that was just a little bit different over there. And because I really like going and doing like backcountry stuff and hiking and all that other stuff, for me, it needs to be cross-functional. And also just like as a business person, I recognized that there's a lot more people who care about hiking and camping than bikes. Mm -hmm. Um and so why not have more of a holistic sort of lifestyle approach to these things? And as a designer, I really appreciate simplicity. Like, I just hate it when there's all these, you know, patterns and extra poofy stuff that's just going to go out of fashion in a year anyway. Like, I want – I have sort of, like, more of, like, a male perspective to my clothes. I'm like, if it's going to be expensive, I want it to be something that I'm going to use a lot of and that I'm going to have for a long time. Um, and that I'm not going to look like a clown in five years. So um, I started putting together like a new collection. And the idea was, you know, and I'm still working on it. We're still doing prototypes and being like, oh, that, that, was, that was a good idea, but it didn't work out. Um, and really testing things in the wild. So, for example, I took my favorite hoodie. And I've been experimenting on what technical fabrics work best, right? Is it spandex? Is it like that sort of windbreakery stuff? Is it the DWR stuff? And just like sewing up a few of them so that I can go, you know, sweat it out and be like, oh, that seam shouldn't be there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think that that's something that maybe this next year we'll, we'll you know, see like a few products start cool. coming up. and. You know, I'm, I'm pretty passionate about everything being made locally um, and doing things the right way because... That's awesome. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm never going to be a major label and I'm never going to, you know, be the empire. So as long as this is like, you know, what I choose to do with my life and what I kind of stand behind, then it should not only be something that I wear and I love, but that you know, are probably made with my fingers or someone that I hang out with rather than being like, oh, there's a bunch of people in a foreign country that aren't really being paid fairly. So, you know, like, let's 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 keep our values uh, consistent. But so if you follow me on you. Instagram, you'll probably see like some adventures and you know, making some things or taking things out into the field. Um, and I love it because the imagination is so alive. And, you know, it's just like bike camping and all of that other stuff where I'm like, all right, I have this thing and it's enabling adventure. Mm -hmm. So whether it's like a hoodie or a pair of shorts or whatever, I'm like, okay, I'm going to make this and what background would look super epic. And that's the amazing thing about California is I'm like, the mountains? All right, let's go to Baldi. You know, or the <laughs> desert? Let's go to San Jacinto. Ooh, ooh, let's go to Palos Verdes and get that epic, you know, like, like you know, ocean shot. And then in some ways it's like cheating because regardless of how beautiful or amazing that product is, you're like, damn, that's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> is one of your inspirations Chihuly by any chance? Uh, it's okay no. if he's not. Okay, <laughs> he just always juxtaposes his beautiful glass blown sculptures with nature. So it's like the canals mixed with like a blue hanging glass piece. I think it's beautiful, and I mean, obviously, I think all of us really care a lot about nature, right. and that we get into bikes because yeah. there's just this incredible experience of like yeah. you get to this vista, and suddenly, like you know, you're just. You can't even think about anything else. You're just like, pretty. <laughs> <laughs> no, you actually feel uh, the, the contours of the earth, which is the most amazing part of it. It's just you're, you're part of it. You know, in a car, you get to a certain vista. Yeah, you see it. But when you're biking there, it's so rewarding when you get to that point, like a vista, 
or even screaming down a hill. I mean, you just feel there's different emotions as you're going through these uh, tours. And I think a lot of people neglect um, that or they, they haven't realized that's really um, what bike touring will provide you. It's just a release. It's a really such a good release, such a good um, uh, place to kind of be in your head in a way. So it's, it, I, that's why I love it. <laughs> the word contours made me think of the summit. The Bike Summit? Did you just go to that? Or is that coming up? No, the California Bike Summit's going to be in October yeah. in San Diego, which I'm going to be bike touring to. If cool. you want, we should we should do a dedicated bike tour from LA to yeah. the Bicycle Cal Bike Summit. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. I would like to participate in that. Yeah, we well, can set something up. Let's get a posse going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd love to that, do that. You said I, October? Yeah. Okay. But that also means we all have to register for a slightly expensive bike summit. Mm-hmm. Okay, and <laughs> wait a minute. So, Or at least camp out outside and be like, Just we love what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> so, And that's the way you get to attend the bike summit is you're either invited or you pay no. to attend. You, you just, just pay you to go, attend. You go to calbike.org, you click the register yeah. button, you fill out the form and pay for it. Okay. And how much are you paying if you attend? You, I don't remember what it is. Like 300 is Something it? like that. Yeah. Okay, like, like $275, I, I'm thinking, but it's okay. Yeah, I, you should check the website. Okay. And I think that they probably still have, like, an early bird special or something like that. And, you know, honestly... I was going to do two birds with one stone because I have to go down there and do it anyway mm-hmm. um, for my nonprofit. And then I was like, well, you know, I never have any time. I've always wanted to do that kind of tour. I was like, and I love camping and I have no money. So let's just, you know, like, let's put it all together. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good that's time. That's a great idea. Yeah, because not a lot of that, that's off season for camping. So mm-hmm. you may be able to get more campsites along the coast. Because right now it's impossible. Every weekend's been booked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in but- San Diego is impossible to find camping. One of the things that I like the least about all of that stuff is like Southern California is so beautiful. The coast is like just mind blowing, mm-hmm. and we're so fortunate to be here. But it's all private property. There's so few like oh, camping spots. It- they just assume that you should get like a hotel. And like I like being outside. Like sometimes I don't even bring a tent. I just want to be. Like in fresh air, mm-hmm. you know, and the the climate is so amazing that you can get away with it. But yeah. you know, then you're like kind of like in someone's backyard. Well, there's there's a couple of spots. I mean, they even have RV sites where it's, they have a camping section. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one in that I'm thinking about. It's in Mission Bay, so uh, you can definitely do that. That's closer to the city, or there's even hostels. <laughs> And when you when you say that they're all booked up already, have you ever tried to just go and like someone didn't show up to their spot, or is it is there not good luck with that? There is one site like uh, San Alijo. They have a hiker biker so that you can actually go in and if there's spots available there, you can you can take up like a, a tent spot there. Um, for the most part, they shouldn't turn you away. But I usually travel on my meetup group with a lot more like we, we get about like 10 people coming on, along with us so i can't we can't just you know overwhelm the whole hiker bike right look like a smaller group <laughs> <laughs> everyone hide in my tent <laughs> party in johnny's tent <laughs> yeah yeah so if you you want tips on where to stay or how to camp or even i, I can help plan that for you yeah, I, milestonerides.com. That's right. I, I felt like when when we planned, like when we booked ahead the sites, we also paid more because I felt like when we show, like when we showed up just to, there that night, then mm-hmm. it was like, 
a $4 payment, whereas if you reserve it ahead of time, I don't remember what websites we did that with, yeah. but it was always $5 or more. Well, the state is very consistent about that, like the state campgrounds. Uh-huh. And they're pretty expensive if you're, if you're going by yourself because they're like from $20 and on upwards. No way. Not yeah. From, no, it's crazy. N- no. When was the last time you did San Francisco to Los Angeles? Last year. And you had to pay more than $4. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Um, like up north. Up, up north of San Francisco, there were some sites that you you could get for like six bucks, yeah. But when, when I'm talking about like uh, L.A. between L.A. and San Diego, uh-huh. there's limited amount, and they charge a lot for those. Oh, yeah. I've never done San Diego or lo- from Los Angeles to San Diego. Yeah, because that's that's where they charge a lot for that. But uh, like what you're saying, from like north of San Francisco or even north of L.A., a lot of the the spots are like six bucks or ten bucks at most, but. I mean, they have hiker bikers facilities, and it's actually much better up north, uh, from uh, on the state, from like Crescent City. Interesting. Now. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking of Morro Bay, and oh, yeah. they they just had like a little a metal box <laughs> that you were just supposed to push your four dollars into. So it's like on honor system, pretty much. And you know, I I liked the availability of the place that I could can't like the fact that I could just put my tent there and it felt safe. Yeah. Yeah. So I yeah. put the money in. Yeah, because they also have state, county uh, campsite too, as well, too. So uh, it's Oh, and that's something you would look up under like a state website yeah. or something? Yeah, there's like a reservation system for uh, the state side of things. Okay. Um, also including the National Forest if you camp around there, too. So there's just various different things. Well, you know, one of the things that I just want to interject before I think Nick probably wants us to wrap this up is the whole warm showers oh, yeah. uh issue so i did a actually a tall bike tour from los angeles to ojai and it was hilarious because especially going through malibu where sometimes the drivers are i would say not courteous and a little (laughs) a little bit on the dangerous side um we I think they're not on, aware. T- no, they are aware. They actually don't like bicyclists a lot of the time because they're kind of in the way of them, you know, zooming around and it's their neighborhood. Um, and when we were on tall bikes and, you know, they were painted like bright colors mm-hmm. and we had like flags hanging off the back. <laughs> we were like two stories tall, you know, and just very slowly making our way up. People, it was like... You know, the level of celebrity couldn't touch that. People are just like, oh, my God, that's incredible. People are stopping. Can you can I get you some water? Do you want a banana? (laughs) Um, And so the the reception was so much greater on tall bikes than it had ever been in, you know, at ever in any other way. So the the tall bike touring, great idea. (laughs) You know, I have had a lot of people like my friend Udaya is in South America. You know, he barely spoke Spanish and he's like, just by virtue of being on a tall bike, people would just be like, oh my God, you're wonderful. (laughs) Um, And then the the other thing is, is like, so we had this big motley crew of arguably questionable looking people. um, And we had gone on to warm showers and found this guy who had a very large house in Malibu. And he said, oh, I love people who bike tour. You know, come on in, you know, get showers, you know, camp out. He's like, I have a huge yard. You know, there's plenty of room inside. Like, you know, just come on in and have a nice place in between, you know, a nice rest stop before you do your next day. And we were going to just totally camp and do everything hardcore, but it was nice to have that option in between where everyone like had, um, you know, fancy warm showers and Mm -hmm. everything. 
we got to meet someone who wasn't part of our group. And, you know, we when we wound up having, like, technical difficulties, it just – it was a nice resource when you don't have other resources. Like, if you don't know anybody and you're doing this other stuff, then warm showers can be a really fantastic situation. And in our case, it was – Amazing! It was yeah. just this house up in the Malibu Hills. There was like an outdoor sauna. We were like, <laughs> how did we walk into this? this For those incredible. of you not not knowing what Warm Showers is, it's a website that you can go to to find uh, people or resources in the area in which you're located or the area in which you're headed that are have open arms to people traveling. And they themselves have probably traveled. And it's just nice. It's like a local... Right. Friend. It's also like Airbnb, but without all the money or douchiness, right. you know? Right. So, like, you right. just remove all of the, like, capitalist, <laughs> like, pig aspect to it. And it's just nice people who are like, yeah, come yeah. on in. <laughs> it's sort of like couch surfing. The thing I, I feel that's sad about couchsurfing.com or maybe org. I'm not sure. Uh, I got I got taken advantage of a number of times by couch surfers. I had people who, who lived in the – and couch surfing may have changed its policy so I don't know. But I had pe- people who lived in L.A. who kind of didn't want to take the homeless route. So they're like, I'm going to get on to couchsurfing.com and just find some houses to stay at. Wow. And yeah. Wow. But it's OK. I think people are always looking for places to take advantage of things if that's the type of person they are. Yeah. So don't worry. You won't run into people like that. Just don't even just think about it. talk to them first. Make sure they're right. not crazy and <laughs> right. <they're> fine. <laughs> right. Well, I had a really good experience with warm showers. I mean, every everyone that I've ever been, like even in Europe, like yeah. people are so cool and they op- open their houses for you. They even feed you sometimes so uh, without you even asking. So it's really, really good community to be part of if you're thinking about traveling. I, speaking about um, how a tall bike opens up people to you as a tourer, I did a unicycle tour of S- the Scottish Highlands this summer. <laughs> I didn't actually unicycle. I was on a bike. But my friend brought me in on the ride. And they did 285 miles in uh, like eight days. And we had uh, so awesome. those kind of reactions from people. Yeah. There, there's this one kid who's doing a, a around-the-world unicycle ride cool. from England. Like he has this huge, like huge wheel, and he's posting. He's great, nineteen-year-old yeah. kid, and he's like in um, one of the Afghanistan's um, areas there, and mi- the Middle East. And <laughs> right now, he's get, right, getting right into Asia. So, I mean, um, when I was, well, we got to follow him too. Yeah, he's great. His abs have got to be so strong, <laughs> golly! Oh, Core yeah. strength at its finest, right there. Yeah, yeah. There's a girl in L.A. who I always see on her cell phone, unicycling around. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's like the only place in which talking on your phone makes sense and looks safe. <laughs> because it's sort of like you. there's nothing you can put your hands on. Right. You know, there's no wheel. There's no handlebars. It's like. But your legs. Yeah. And your abs. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like when you're driving a car or when you're riding a bicycle, there's something that you're supposed to be aiming your directional course with so it's kind of like you look like a bad person if you're on your phone with Uh, those those other things even with a razor you have to have your hands on a steering faculty but with a unicycle you don't have a (laughs) steering faculty so it's like fair game i think (laughs) so your next tour is going to be in october or do you have another one coming up before that oh i mean 
listen, if if you leave me alone for a weekend, you know? <laughs> okay, because um, you happen. do mountain biking, you do you do city touring. I mean, city road biking. You do you do any BMXing? No, no, I don't BMX. <laughs> okay, I know, I know, it's a failure on my part. It's not I a apologize. failure at all. I just I. I'm just checking in with you here because you got a lot of stuff going on. I know that cyclocross, touring. Yes, yeah, cy- that's drive. thank you. That's the word. <laughs> that was the word. Cyclocross. Yes. So, yeah. do you do Dorothy Wong's cyclocrosses? No. You, where there's other cyclocrosses? Yeah. So I'm originally from uh, New England, and or not New England, but the you know that area. And so for me, cyclocross means mud. It also means snow. It means like, you know, just these epic photos if you go online and you see people with like the, the mud spattered and everything. Yeah. And it's cold and like, you know, there there's all of this technical cyclocross co- clothing where, you know, you're covered and you can sweat, but it's going to get really cold. And so it's like really super invigorating and like the mud and like the courses <laughs> are totally different. You know, I came to Southern California and I was like, you can't really do cross here. You can do like these like dirt rides that look like a cross course and they're lots of fun. But, you know, all you have to do is go to like, say, Oregon or San Francisco or all these other places and you can get back into that mud and you can get into these like courses and stuff. Yeah. And, and the weather. Yeah, the weather. You know, and the funny thing is, is people. Southern California is gifted with this perfect weather all the time, but for cyclocross, it's a little bit of a curse because you want that challenge. Part of the the joy is, you know, like, <laughs> will it snow? Will it not snow? Well, you know, is it going to be muddy? Is it going to be dry? Like, who knows? It's going to be awesome <laughs> either way. So, so maybe the cyclocross should take itself to the beach during winter time because then you'd at least get semi-freezing cold water <laughs> and potentially sand mud. Uh, Not so much. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of different options, both in Southern California and other areas. The farther you go, the more options you have. There's also the Spy Series. And, you know, it depends. Like, are you competitive? If you're competitive, you want, um, like, a sanctioned race where you can get points. If you don't really care about that, you can do something um, that doesn't have the UCI seal of approval. And it's just like, what do you like doing on your bike? Somebody is providing you events and races that's just going to tickle your your funny bone. The the thing that I really want to do that's coming up, not this weekend, but the next weekend, is uh, I think it's like Pro Bike something. It's it's a guy named Murphy based out of San Francisco, and he does both a cyclocross series up in San Francisco as well as all these mountain bike things and gravel grinders down here, Mm. but in the earlier part of the year. And I guess he's got like this like epic three gravel thing. But this coming weekend in Mendocino State Park, it's like three days of like mountain biking paradise where they've got like cabins. All the food is like already prepared for you. You know, there's like infinite trails in all directions. (laughs) And I was like, oh, my God, it's like adult mountain bike, like paradise slash kindergarten where everyone's like, here you go. We've got an EMT on board just in case you (laughs) fuck yourself up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Summer, like summer camp. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of what I'm, I'm hoping to get into, but so I'm like going through the bike, the bike community where I was like, uh, so is there anybody in San Francisco who might be driving up there? (laughs) Uh. (laughs) Do you ever go through Craigslist for rides? No. No, is it is that like you think that would not be safe? Yeah, I just I've the, I'm usually more adventurous than most people, but when it comes to like being alone in a car, yeah. It's okay. I I understand. 
I can say that I have used Craigslist. Craig, I have gone to Craigslist for rides, and I have had nothing but the best of luck. Mm-hmm. But I guess you know that's why I ended up with the bad luck with the couch surfing. You have to, you know, balance it you all use out. Too much luck in one I, area. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's taken away from a good. Yeah. Ooh, something that everyone should attend if you can, because it's a good thing going on. You won't be able to because you're busy with the summer camp. But <laughs> SWAT is hosting. The thing, the Swatlandia? No, that's this weekend. Yeah. It's this Sunday. Oh, sorry. Tra- You're talking about next weekend. Tracklandia. Yeah. Yes. Well, I also might be in Big Sur. So, I mean, it's, Which it's is tough. awesome. California is just like, yeah. how much fun can you have before you explode? Yeah, I didn't know it was this awesome and amazing and great. I didn't know that. Yeah. But don't move here. But Tracklandia is at the Encino Velodrome this Sunday, I think from 11 to 4. Yeah. 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 No, no. I think Trekland is actually going to go later as well. Than that? Uh, okay. Yeah. So I know one of the invites that they had so that starts at five and it's going to be evening racing. So I would say just go to the Facebook page right. uh, or search Treklandia. It'll all come up. It's also on Instagram. Very easy to find. They do a great job of promoting things. Their flyers are hysterical. Awesome. Yeah. I, I haven't Ooh. seen those, so I, I cannot pontificate on it, but the good Laser stuff. Laser cats everywhere. Oh, great. Yay. So they're being awesome and laser cute. Cats. Wonderful. <laughs> they have, like, cats with laser beams in, from their eyes. There was one I thought that I saw with unicorns. Or, uh, Probably. And rainbows I mean, they, and stuff. They're definitely in the genre. Good. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, go out and support SWAT at the Encino Velodrome this Sunday. All right. From cool. any time so- to any time. Right. And look it up on their Facebook page, Twitter, Instagram. No, no. What's your Instagram? If people can f- maybe follow you, uh, it's just my name. No, no, Bernardo. Yeah, N O N A V A R N A D O. And how about you, Johnny? Do you have an Instagram? Yes, I do. It's uh, Milestone Rides 2013. And uh, obviously, just Instagram. Instagram. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Obvi- cool. And any others? Places things? that people can follow you at. I'm everywhere. I'm on every single one of those uh, social media, well, even I'm, Pinterest. It's easy if you just really? go to yes. if you go if you type into Google Milestone Rides, you, you then he has all of his places <laughs> that you can look him up on his website, and right. then for Nona as well, the bicycle, what's bike trains? You're still doing that, right? Yeah, we're still doing bike trains. Um, so I mean, you can follow bike trains. Uh, you can follow. Bicycle Culture Institute um, on either Facebook or Twitter. Um, we have an Instagram that I've been really lax about because, <laughs> you know, I like kind of like let other people drive that one, and then you know eventually there was I was like, you guys, you can't you can't take pictures of that. It's a little bit too not family friendly. And then everyone's like, ah, oh, well then I don't really want to do it. <laughs> oh, that's such a thing. That that is such a thing. I I can relate to that. What what? Well. People taking, what's it called? People taking, uh, not the, you're, she's suggesting pictures that they took were not family friendly. And so it's sort of like when you let other people kind of take, go away with the shopping cart. I don't know the. Your, your brand. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's tough. I just got in trouble because I did something for a business that wasn't quote unquote family friendly, if you will. And it's Ooh. sort of like, yeah, it, I'm not even going to go into it because it's a whole nother story, but it's, it's difficult when you let other people drive your train. 
it's like they don't necessarily have the same ideals or concepts as you do. Yeah, because like if Johnny let me take over mm-hmm. his Instagram, I'd go straight to the airport. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I understand yeah. what you guys are talking about. Well, well most of these are all branding. I mean, the way you – the feeling, Your image. Yeah, your image of things. And what so, you want compared to what someone else thinks you want right. or what they want or it's difficult when you let someone else drive your train. Yeah. It, it, I think that's the point there. It's yeah. just like things like an Instagram account. It gets complicated in that sense because you have your your own way of doing things and showing things. So, so <laughs> in this – in that particular case where they did take pictures, you couldn't just say, well, that's my correspondence vantage point of my brand or it doesn't work that way? You know, that would be more established. Like, so for example, I've done Instagram takeovers for women race bikes before, which is a lot of fun. Shout out to Sarai Snyder. Um, Woohoo! And, you know, that's, that's totally, that makes sense. Like, so for example, she has her way of shooting. She has her events. They're all like, you know, women's pro races. And then I took it over and, you know, I think I did like maybe the Civic Center crit, which is a Saturday. Yeah, I was um, just going to say that's coming up again. Yeah. And so just like taking pictures of women racing bikes, which, you know, you can't go too far afield on that one. Mm-hmm. Like even if you have a different way of shooting or a different focus or, you know, it's not pro, then like you're still you're still within that range. Mm-hmm. But, you know, bicycle culture is one of those things where you could take it on a lot of different <laughs> a lot of different ways. And, you know, we're focused on education and encouraging and like things that are sort of inspirational but instructive and you know that isn't necessarily always the most fun it's very fun i think but you know it's there, there's parameters but it's also more inter- open to interpretation so that's that's where that got a little bit dicey mm-hmm. and then other things is like i think that um, you know, we live in a very visual age. And so when we are establishing what people can expect from us when they look us up on Instagram or Facebook, we're sort of also not just establishing like that there's going to be bikes and maybe a vista in the background, but we're also setting like some aesthetic standards. Like what is, you know, are our photos high quality or are they more like, you know, kind of selfies, you know, like, what are we talking about here? (laughs) And you want to have just enough consistency that people kind of know what to expect from you so that they know whether or not they want to invest in spending their time and looking at your stuff. Um, And for me, that's kind of a bummer because sometimes I want to take these like, you know, really terrible shots that I think are funny or instructive. But then I would look at my, my feed and be like, oh, that looks terrible um and so i think that's part of the like i've seen so many different people who like control small brands or even big brands is that we're all kind of like maturing with the technology and that is we're all getting a little bit more sophisticated so i think people are using a lot less filters you know filters are kind of like going by the wayside and we're practicing on like having more quality like this is what it really looked like and i spent time framing it and making it look good and this was the reality of it and but mm-hmm. i want to i want to show you the best reality of it um and i think that people that's again that's why we get people who are like oh i want to go on a bike tour because i saw all these beautiful images you know we're not taking like really crappy pixely photos of like a flat you know what i mean like you, you just there's, <laughs> there's a reason why things look the way they do or why we want them to look that way and that's the nice thing about controlling either like a website or a brand or something is cuz you can finally communicate that and you can communicate that in all of these different ways whether it's radio or instagram or whatever thank you you made so, me think of a photo I have of my five-inch stilettos next to a flat. I was like, now that's art. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so, and yes, I made that flat with my stiletto. Wow. Go ahead, Nick. 
So, <laughs> and this all relates to, to Johnny. What you do? Mm-hmm. You're like the guest today, right? Oh, okay, okay. So, I mean, we're talking about your website. Yeah, I think that there's so much here that we could. Yeah, there's so many areas you could get into um, in terms of bike touring. I mean, we just touch a small part of it. So, there's definitely other uh, topics we can go over if anybody's so interested. Should we do this again sometime? I would love to. Why don't we report back on something? Yeah. Catalina's coming up. Yeah, I want to do that one. What, what date are you doing it? It's the 22nd of August. Well, the initial <laughs> introduction from Daniela was she wanted to hear more about the the tour I just did over uh, Europe. Um, I, yeah. I went across Europe for three months, uh, April to June. And so that was that was the original uh, part of it. So we were going to talk about that. but Did you camp for the whole time? Or yes, did you? Yes. Yeah. And Europe is nice to camp in? It's great. Oh, wonderful. It's definitely great. I mean. <laughs> and of course, you have to, this is going to be a dumb question, yeah. but you have to pay in euros. Of course. Okay. Yes. yes. <laughs> At campsites. I don't know why I would think you otherwise. Wild camp it, which is not recommended, but the, you know, some countries like Serbia lets you camp at people's farms if you ask them. <sighs> it's pretty cool. And they're very hospitable. They're doing it right. right? Yeah. Yeah. Like Serbia, Romania, they're very friendly for that. So. <laughs> it sounds amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And we could definitely explore that uh, later, too, because uh, there's definitely stories behind the, those type of trips, as well as, like, you know, I, trips I take in the States, down, like, the Pacific Coast last year. Um, hopefully, I'm going to go across the country in, in about a year or so. So that's in the books. <laughs> some, did you meet Did you meet people who were doing the same tour, not the same tour, but also touring as well on, at every stop yes. of your trip in Europe? Yeah. And the... the spoke English or that spoke a language that you were capable of understanding? Yeah, you cross paths with so many different characters. That's the probably the coolest part about bike right. touring, too, is just you have stories of people who are doing things differently than what you've read or heard about. I mean, we had a, I had a couple that lived in uh, England who is trying to get home to New Zealand by way of traveling around the world on bicycles, and they have this podcast that they... They're, they're doing as well. What's the podcast? It's called um, uh, oh, No Pressure. It. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a H Hey Nay. Uh, how are you? Oh Hey Way. How are you? Where are you? Cute. Yeah. So that's how uh, Hey Nay. Yeah. Oh <laughs> Hey Way. Yeah Hey Way. How are you? That's Where the acronym for it. Yes. Oh, I love acronyms. <laughs> <laughs> and so they're doing podcasts along the way, and they've gone through. Um, France and Spain, Portugal. I think they're in South America now. So, so cool. Yeah, that's Sounds really great. cool. <laughs> hey, way. Yeah. <laughs> Very so cute. You said that maybe we'll have a... A check back in? Yeah, check yeah. back in after the 22nd. Yeah, that'd be cool. If you okay. Guys would... It's a date. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Cool. Look forward to it, Johnny. All Thank right. you both, Johnny, Nona. <laughs> you guys were wonderful to talk to today. Thank you. It was awesome. Okay. It was Thanks, fun. Kat. Thanks, Nick. Welcome to this week's episode of Damien Types. Today I'm talking with Brian Michelson and Jennifer D'Onfrio with the City of Davis, and we're talking about that new protected bike intersection, the first of its kind in the country. Soon we may have multiples of them, which is pretty exciting, I think, and hopefully we'll see it spread throughout the state and throughout the country. Yeah, bicycle protected intersections. They're the shadows of 2015. I meant that in a good way. We're talking about the country's first protected 
bike protected intersection, uh, which was covered in Streets Blog USA earlier this week. And this is sort of the follow up interview. So uh, welcome and congratulations. You're getting I saw the story, I think, in Vox today. Uh, so it's certainly getting spread around that Davis is the innovator on this, or at least the American innovator. Thank you. Thank you very much. We wanted to talk a little bit about the process. Uh, we know in California, um, the, the, until recently, it was difficult to even do protected bike lanes, and now um, there's a protected intersection here. So I was wondering, sort of, what was your process locally uh, where you decided to do this, and what sort of feedback or criticism or obstacles, if any, uh, was there working with the state on this? Well, basically, this started out as a corridor study with the East Hillville Corridor. And the council and city hired a consultant to take a look at the corridor. They made recommendations for pedestrian and bicycle improvements, well as vehicle improvements along the corridor. When that was presented to council, council at a subsequent meeting asked that we have a peer review of that. Out of that study came the recommendations for the best junction to be used in the corridor. The council liked that idea. Um, staff was, was open to and also liked the idea. We went through the process of designing um, that and the public input process, and now we have the Dutch Junction, and the reason we chose that is to provide the pedestrian and bicycle safety in the intersection while still providing for the vehicle traffic, uh, multimodal transportation in the intersection. And so, you know, it went to uh, several council meetings and the Transportation Commission meeting uh, where the public had input on it. And um, we received good feedback on it um, in providing safety for the, the community. So I, I, there's a general overview of it there. So generally, there was there were questions asked both by the community and by the uh, the CTC. But overall, it was it, at least in the initial concept stages and probably through till now, people were generally supportive of the idea of creating an intersection that is sort of safe in a way that most intersections aren't for cyclists to go through. Yes, people were very excited and very supportive of this intersection. Has there been any sort of pushback since the intersection was installed? Has there been either local opposition or drivers or cyclists complaining about anything? No, the only feedback we've had has been positive. We've had very positive reviews of it. People seem to be happy with it. It's been a very positive experience. Given that the feedback so far has been pretty positive, do you expect to to be doing something similar on other streets? When I look at a map of Davis and I see that there's some development plan for the area, it looks like this is sort of outside of the central city. Is this something that, you know, if it continues to prove to be successful and popular, you could be looking at using on other routes? Absolutely. When council approved the J and Covell intersection that night, they also approved that concept for L and Covell in the corridor. And based upon the success of the uh, we look to have this as an option to use citywide uh, where applicable. And so, yeah, this, it's definitely a tool that we can keep our, that we will keep in our toolbox. Um, we'll keep monitoring the intersections as we go. Like I said, it's been very successful so far, but anticipate using this as a tool. If I'm bicycling up to this intersection, I've never seen a protected intersection before. I've seen, I've only seen the pictures that were on uh, Michael's article on Streets Blog USA earlier this week. 
what is it like? So I'm biking up to the intersection and I'm in a protected bike lane. And then yeah. then what happens? Is there a, a bike signal detector or a camera or something? If there's no cars, does the intersection know I'm there? Yes. When you come up to it, it's a straight bike lane. It's not necessarily a protected bike lane, um, but it is a straight, straight bike lane with a buffer. And as you come up to it, the video detection at the signal, um, it's a, a newer type of detection. It does let the signal controller know that there's a bicycle present. So it's a buffered bike lane, and then the signal detects me, and then I go through the intersection and I'm separated out from the car traffic. What about, is there cars trying to turn, or is this a traffic circle? This is Jennifer speaking. We have a pathway on the south side, and when you're traveling east on the, or west on the pathway, you reach the intersection. And if you're making a right turn, you just stay um, in the curbed area that you saw in those photos, so mm-hmm. you never have into contact with vehicles that are also turning right. So it's, it's, very, it's a very comfortable movement to make that, that right-hand turn. And when you're going straight, you go straight with the green auto light, or if you feel more comfortable, bikes could push the green button. And then if you're making a left, you have options. You can make a a standard left turn, like if you were in a vehicle, or you can choose to do a two-stage left turn and follow the defined green space across each of the crosswalk areas. And, and turn left that way. So far, people have been pretty positive about the experience, though, both drivers and cyclists. I mean, it sounds great to me. I'll have to link back and put some of the pictures in, because I have a little trouble picturing it without looking at the pictures, but it sounds like it. it's pretty sort of self-explanatory when you're actually in your bike on your way through the intersection, um, or yep. if you're driving through. Correct. So what I've noticed, and I've been out there a few times now, I've observed um, young children biking through independently and not having any uh, issues with how to use the intersection at all. It's, it's very intuitive of how to cross. It seems um, like second nature. They just move with either they just either they they use the pathway to turn right or they go across the street like they traditionally would. Um, in the bike lane or in the defined bike space next to the crosswalk area. Um, and, yeah, we've only heard very positive things about our new intersection treatment. And and, and as an, a person driving, you wouldn't really notice the difference besides that the crosswalk and the bike space are, are further set back in the intersection, and you have to, to turn around these um, islands. Besides that, I'm, as a driver, it would you would not really notice that you're in a unique intersection. In Los Angeles, it seems like whenever there's sort of a, a modern bike feature put in, there's always some sort of bike lash, as they refer to it in the local media. So it, it didn't even occur to me that you could put something in that's that's really progressive and exciting without the drivers even noticing. <laughs> so yeah, well, the the one caveat I would add to that is that. It does bring more awareness to the bicycles and pedestrians because of the markings of crosswalks and the bike crossings at the intersections. Um, we've got the green paint in the bike lanes crossing the intersection, and we do have the ladder crosswalks. So it brings more attention to the to the bicyclists and that mode of, and the pedestrians in that mode of transportation. But as far as the way the intersection operates, it operates very much the same as any other, any other intersection. All right. Well, that's or, great. 
so you mentioned uh, that this is in the toolkit uh, and that there's it's been approved for some other intersections. Are there is there anything in the hopper? Or is there going to be another one later this year, or uh, are we just going to watch this one, make sure everything's great before we move forward with the next one? It all depends on funding and when funding is available for other intersection improvements and capital projects to move forward. So we don't have uh, the funding necessarily to move forward with another. Dutch Junction at the moment, but we do have that uh, plan, like I say, for L Street on the Covell Corridor, and as funding is available, we will move forward with these at a location based on the success of this one. Well, that is a, a perfect dovetail into my promotion for next week's piece, which is going to be on transportation funding statewide and um, what mechanisms could be put in place to increase the funding coming to cities from Sacramento. It used to be a lot higher than it is now as some funds directed towards transportation have been put into the general fund. So hopefully we can get some of that flowing back and see improvements like this more in Davis and around the state. Is there anything else you want to add before we sign off, or uh, do you think we covered it? I think we covered it. Yeah, I would like to thank you for the opportunity to provide information on this. Oh, no problem. We've been seeing the story do very well on Streets Blog. We've seen it get picked up by some other outlets. We want to let people know that this is possible uh, and let people know what the experience has been so far. So congratulations for for being out out of the gate, and uh, we'll check back in and see how this is going uh, a couple months from now. Great. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Damien Talks. Next week, we'll be back talking transportation funding. Try to contain your excitement. This is a podcast for Streets Blog California. We can be reached at the website, cal.streetsblog.org, on Facebook at facebook.com slash streetsblogca, or you can just tweet at me, twitter.com slash Damien, D-A-M-I-E-N, types, T-Y-P-E-S, or even just email me, very 21st century, Damien, D-A-M-I-E-N, at streetsblog.org. We're always looking for show ideas. We're always looking for sponsorship. We're always looking for feedback. So you can uh, leave it at any of those places. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bike Talk. If you want to hear more, go to kpfk.org, navigate to programs, and choose Bike Talk. On the Bike Talk page, click on the archives link to play or download shows posted in the last four months. Go to biketalk.com and copy or click on the RSS feed link to subscribe. Our Twitter handle is BiketalkBFK. On Facebook, we are Bike Talk. You can become friends and join our group.